week on Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay Review, Under the Western Freeway by Granddaddy. Just continues to get weaker and weaker and weaker and fall apart more and more and more. They sound, the songs sound like they're going to fall apart. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I guess I don't quite get it. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me once again, our co-host, our voice of reason, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay, we are approaching the end, possibly, of our listener suggestions for the year. We might have a few more left, but we're getting down to the nitty-gritty. And we've got one here from Andrew AJ Mills. I don't believe he's suggested anything before. This is, uh, I think, his first suggestion. And it is a band that you and I, I believe, are both familiar with. It's Granddaddy. Am I correct in saying that you were familiar with this band already? Nope. <laughs> For some reason, I was I was thinking it was like a side project of like Paul Westerberg or something. I'm like, no, that's Grandpa of? Boy. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's hilarious. No, I I mean obviously I'd heard of this band. Um but You know the singles, right? From the later mm, albums, Now It's maybe. On and The Crystal Lake. Maybe, I don't know. Oh, Jay. I don't I don't, I don't want to get any more detail cuz I'm going to spill my review. Okay. Spoil my review. And so you up. weren't familiar, I was familiar. I, I was more familiar just as a singles band from their which we'll get into later. Uh but not familiar with this album. So we're doing Under the Western Freeway, and we're doing the history of the band. History of the band. So Granddaddy formed in Modesto, California by Jason Lytle on vocals, guitar, and keys, Kevin Garcia on bass, and Aaron Birched on drums. They self-released a cassette, Complex Party Come Along, in April of 1994, in 95, Jim Fairchild joined the band on guitar and Tim Dryden on keys. So they went from a three-piece to a five-piece. April 96, they released the mini-album A Pretty Mess by This One Band on Will Records. And in the following year, October, in 1997, they released Under the Western Freeway on Will in the U.S. and Big Cat Records in the UK, which at the time was a subsidiary of V2 Records. That becomes important. In 1999, they released the compilation The Broke Down Comforter Collection, which was of early uh, releases. And then they signed officially to Richard Branson's V2 Records. In May of 2000, they re- released the album The Software Slump on V2, which featured the single The Crystal Lake. And in May of 2003, they released the album Someday on V2, which uh, featured the single Now It's On. In January of 2006, Lytle announced that the band was breaking up, and in May of that year, they released their final album, Just Like the Family Cat. Yes, family, not family, on V2. Uh, Since then, Lytle has released... Two solo out records. In May of 2009, he released Yours Truly, The Commuter on Anti Records. And in October 
He released a second solo album, Department of Disappearance, also on Anti Records. However, in March of 2012, the band announced they were reuniting for shows. They played some uh, festivals this year, and there's potential for new music to be made. So, like Andrew Mills, if you would like to make a request, visit our request a review page at digmeoutpodcast.com. So, Jay, I mentioned that this is the first band, or this is the first album by the band. They went on and had some pretty decent success with some singles. They actually have a bigger following in the UK. Uh, The Software Slump and Someday were both considered pretty big, or, or pretty respected albums, like Mercury Prize level albums. However... We're not reviewing those records because they were released 2000 or later. We are reviewing their debut album. So, you had a clean slate when it came in, came for a granddaddy. What is your opinion of Under the Western Freeway? Well, (laughs) um, I always know it's good when you start out like that. Yeah. Look, uh, going into this, you know, the first couple songs. I was intrigued, although, you know, I felt like at this at this point in 2012, it was sort of a formula that I've heard other bands kind of do before. So I was curious to hear, you know, where they were going to go with it. Um, and to me, the album slowly over the course of those 11 tracks just continues to get weaker and weaker and weaker and fall apart more and more and more. Um, I think AM 180 is is probably the high point mm-hmm. of uh, of showcasing what they do in terms of um, you know this really eclectic mix of live instruments and keyboards and different synth sounds and. vocal that's on most of the songs but it gets more and more experimental as it goes and his voice gets weaker and weaker as it goes and things just fall apart for me you know i think a song like am 180 it's really it was really intriguing because it kind of had that 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 keyboard lead part in there it reminded me a lot of like a a weezerish kind of melody that's what i had too yeah and you know and as i'm hearing that you know i'm it sounded just it almost sounded familiar and I don't know if maybe I've heard the song before but I was like wow this sounds really familiar and I was really excited about where that was going to go and it kind of doesn't go anywhere they don't it, it was the first clue to 
me that, you know, this band is very immature at this point, probably on this record and really don't quite know where to go with this stuff and how to make it more sophisticated and kind of pull it together and do some, do something really exceptional. It sounded like maybe kind of trying to imitate like the Beach Boys or something at times too, which it just kind of came off as um, them, you know, sort of amateurish attempt to imitate the Beach Boys. Um, yeah, especially which, like the later Brian Wilson, you know, yeah. disjointed and but lots of uh, harmony, but broken and it's yeah. So it, it kind of just, I think the note I made was like bedroom beach boys, you know, <laughs> like some, a couple guys or a guy in his bedroom just screwed around trying to like mimic what the beach boys do on a four track or whatever it is they recorded this stuff on. Um, so overall, you know, it, it doesn't come together for me. It, it seems very uh, demo-ish. Um, there's some interesting mixtures of instruments on here that I appreciate. There's some melodies that they that they use that are that are strong, but they don't build on them. So a song like "Summer Here, Kids," I really got excited when that song kicked in because you know they shift the tempo and and it gets some energy. The problem is it's I found it almost unlistenable at times. Uh, the tone, sound, like his voice, and just there's no bass to it, and it's just all mid and highs, and just not very musical. the maybe the notion there and and maybe the underlying song but just the overall production on that particularly on that song it just it revealed itself as being kind of a probably a project album not professionally produced and very kind of difficult to listen to especially loud so i don't i don't know i don't i guess i don't quite get it well where where are you at on this i i found this to be a disappointment more so because on their follow-ups, his voice sounds like this. It's it's you know very shaky and it's mm-hmm. he's using that falsetto and but the music is full. The music mm-hmm. is it's complex but not too heady. They're doing a lot of weird things with the keyboards and the synths, and this sounds like they're using broken keyboards that. They can barely keep in tune, and they don't have any amps. And it's just, it sounds, like you said, it sounds like somebody's demo in their garage or in their bedroom that they didn't ever make the real songs. And I'm surprised that this got them signed to V2. I mean, I don't know what Richard Branson was 
hearing exactly. Yeah, AM 180 does have that Weezerish feel without any sort of a Weezer chorus. Yeah, the, the, yeah. the cool keyboard part is essentially the chorus. Yeah, yeah. In fact, on the way home today, that song came on, and I was like, I love that that melody so much. I just started singing my own chorus over it. <laughs> I was just like, this is what should have been on here. I'm just going to make something up. <laughs> just like, damn it. Why didn't they finish this? Or why didn't they, I don't know, pay that off? And you're right. Summer Here Kids is the only other really up-tempo song, and it's it's got a cool like piano line in it and it has a light a loud soft dynamic and it has kind of an ironic lyrical bent because it's basically saying don't don't go outside in the summer stay home stay alone and put some records on and and Mm -hmm. just chill out to listening to records and that would be cooler if the song was more listenable yeah if it was a pop song with this sort of anti-pop anti-summer anti-fun message that would be kind of ironic but the song's so ugly that you don't even really want to listen to the the lyrics and unfortunately those are the only like i mean am 180 is really the only like memorable melody there's a lot of interesting tones here and there yeah whether there's a mellotron that shows up or a distorted bass or whatnot but Basically, the second half of the album is just kind of a waste. They get to, you get to track eight, which is poisoned at Heartsy Thai food. It sounds like a Guided by Voices song. I mean, you could yeah. have stuck that on any Guided by Voices album, and I would have thought it was a Guided by Voices song. Yeah. Mr. Heartsy came over and asked, What the heck's going on? For both of them began to throw up all over the photos. Billy spilled his pexty. Chandra, she was laying on the floor. Nobody knows where the poison goes, where it came from. Nobody knows poison Hudson. Then you get to Go Progress Chrome. It's this slow song. The vocals sound like he tossed them off in about five minutes. There's an interesting, I guess, arpeggio keyboard part, and I am using that correctly in this particular situation. No, I do not need you to check, Katie. Thank you. That part was interesting to me for as well until I thought about it for a second. I was like, that's just like an arpeggio setting on the it's keyboard. It's just an arpeggio setting on a keyboard. You hit one button, and it says arpeggio, and then you hold a, a key down, and it, that's how you get... It's not complicated. It's not like he's playing all the notes. So it's cheating. Well, it's yeah. just... You kind of... I think at that point in the album, it exposes the lack of sophistication and to the detriment at that, you know, that point. Hey, I'm all for... A naive approach to music where you, you know, kind of stumble into things. You don't always know exactly what you're doing, but along the way, you kind of create magic. Then there's where that you try to do that and it doesn't quite happen. Then by the end, it just sounds desperate. Like you're learning, you're like 
noodling around with your instruments trying to figure out how do they work and then right. you're recording it. And, and, I, and I'm not opposed to this style of vocal either. I mean, there, there's a lot of, you know, I like Sparkle Horse quite a bit. I like Jay Massey yes. quite a bit. Their voices are very you know, in the same ballpark, but they they emote like a desperation and anguish and, you know, that this sounds detached to me. Like his vocal just sounds like completely apathetic and detached from, you know, a feeling almost, you know, and I think that that, that is one of the key things that really, I think if you're going to do this kind of music that I have to connect with that. If I don't connect with that, if I don't feel like um, your emotion, uh, I'm kind of lost at that point and what, how I'm supposed to perceive the rest of this. Well, the thing that's, that's frustrating is that eventually they would figure it out. But on this album, it's almost as if they deliberately are anti-chorus because I mentioned Go Progress Chrome. So it starts out, it's got the full band, guitar, keys, bass, and drums. There's a lazy vocal, arpeggio keyboard. And then it just, it like right when you think the chorus should kick in, it just ends. Like it doesn't go anywhere. Then yeah. the next song is Why Took Your Advice. It's a slow piano ballad with some noise. There's nothing going on. And then Lawn and So On, which sounds like basically a continuation of the previous song with a little bit of bell chiming and some fuzz guitar. There's some talking and then the sound of crickets. (laughs) So basically the the last three songs are just nothing. There's just, it's just, bah. So I just found myself frustrated because I'm like, there's clearly talent here. I know there's talent here. (laughs) And there's clearly the, the... genesis of a song somewhere in this part in these parts but i want i just wanted there to be more meat on the bone and there's just the sound the songs sound like they're gonna fall apart they're so rickety and i don't i I hear what you're saying about people like taking a naive approach but i don't want to if you want to learn how the arpeggio button works on your keyboard (laughs) that's great but don't record you learning how that works yeah i'm not saying that that's the situation here but you gotta there's just gotta be a little bit more just more musicianship and more songwriting skill mm-hmm. than what this is going on this just this should have been released as an album of demos after yeah. they released the other albums is what it sounds like to me yeah i i have tracks eight through 11 circled and i just wrote junk i mean i'm just like they, these aren't even junk I, I, they're not even songs they're just noises and like sketches of you know layering ideas and stuff it's i don't know Um, and here's the thing i like brian eno he's one of my like not a guilty pleasure because he's not like katie perry but like i listen i like listening to those weird brian eno albums where it's like the sound of a keyboard for 17 minutes fluctuating because he's going for like a soundscape atmosphere yeah. These are supposed to be songs, not soundscape atmospheres, as far as I can tell. But they don't sound like a completed song. They just sound like somebody started doing something and then went, eh, I'm bored with this. And if you're going for a soundscape atmosphere, you know, it better sound good. Like it better, just from a quality standpoint and a, um, you know, musical or, you know, just from a tone or, you know what I mean? Like it shouldn't right. be hard on your ears or just you know sound flat and 
like a demo. I mean, you know, part of those Brian Eno albums, I'm, I'm sure, is because there's, even though, you know, it's pushing the boundaries in terms of music, like production wise, I'm sure they're top notch. You know? Yeah. Oh, Everything yeah, definitely. Big and full and amazing. And that's kind of the, I would imagine, the appeal of it, right? It's just the, how vast it is and huge it is and just, you know, but this is not that. So. And it's, it's almost an, not insulting, but, you know, we mentioned the Beach Boys and Sparkle Horse, and there are a lot of other bands that you could mention, like early Genesis, early Pink Floyd, Mercury Rev, Flaming Lips, even like Tripping Daisy or, and Polyphonic Spree, the Tim mm-hmm. Lautner stuff. Yeah, but all of those yeah. sonically still sound good. Yeah. Like it never, it's never devolves to the point where like I'm, I'm wondering whether or not they dumped it from ADAT down to a cassette tape, and then, and then digitally transferred it to, like, I was almost expecting like tape hiss to come in yeah. at certain points because it's so lo-fi. Like I get lo-fi. And the other albums are not lo-fi. That's the thing that's confusing. But I don't, I don't think it works here. I mean, that's just so ultimately. How, how's this album regarded in terms of their catalog? Do you get a sense of that? I don't really have a sense. I, I, it, it didn't have any sort of breakthrough commercially or, or nationally. Yeah. Whereas the, the two follow-up albums on V2, Software Slump and Someday, both had radio singles like here in columbus it would have been cd 101 was playing the crystal lake and i remember there was even a video for that in the in 2000 uh and then uh so i remember now it's on being having a video and and um getting airplay i mean those are really tight well-constructed audibly pleasing songs and singles well that Uh, song has the arpeggio in it too yeah it does but it works on that song yeah it sounds it comes off more like elo than a kid learning how to play a keyboard right (laughs) just because the overall production is so much better but interesting enough the uh on spotify their top listen to song is am 180 which uh, you know crystal lake is number two that makes sense I mean, I can see that ke- that keyboard part sound. When you hear that keyboard part in AM 180, you yeah. think that you've heard that song before because that keyboard part is so catchy. Yeah. So I totally get why people would would dig that. I mean, it, it sounds like it could be like a pavement song or a Weezer song. I mean, it's it's perfect. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For for the 90s, but like I said, like there's there's no chorus to it. It's it's just that keyboard part carrying the whole song if that song had a had a if they could take that melody and then create a chorus to complement it after it like either play off of the melody or you know so set it up with the instrument and then and then pay it off with a vocal you know that really carry that it would be amazing song but they right. don't, so it's kind of like it, right, it well. needed the um, it needed the "Don't Stop Believing" treatment, which <laughs> is follow me here. Uh, uh, you have you have an instrumental interlude which acts as your chorus, and then you mm-hmm. have the big chorus at the end, which yeah. is what "Don't Stop Believing" is. You don't actually get to the yeah. chorus and and hear "Don't Stop Believing" 
until the la- until you're four minutes into the song. And they they kind of try to do that because he repeats the line. I think it's "We'll take on whatever together." Mm-hmm. And he repeats it a couple times, but it's so like lackadaisical and sort of buried in the music that yep. you don't really get that he's doing a repetitive chorus at the end. I mean, it's just it's a line he's repeating. No, you're right. If they would have done that, I would have, you know, jumped on my seat excited. And, they, you know, that's exactly how that song should have been written. Right. Again, our jobs as retroactive producers uh, <laughs> is yeah, once, we're kinda once a looper like technology that, becomes into, comes into uh, our universe. It's also what, clear now. What will happen <laughs> is we'll be looper producers Time travel will not yet have been invented, but we will go back in time and fix albums. <laughs> like we'll show up at the studio while Jason Little's re- will be like, "You need a bigger chorus at the end," and then we'll go back into the future, and all of a sudden that song was a big hit single. That's what. <laughs> do we get music royalties loopers. on that? I would. Right, I right think it? we did, did have to figure out a way to get some royalty <laughs> out of that, some way. That's your next movie script. That's my next. That's my next script idea. Music loopers. <laughs> I'm gonna pitch that to Ryan Johnson as a sequel to, to Looper, or maybe it's already been made. It's a conundrum. That's the, that's the Looper conundrum. Uh, so, I guess in the ratings department, we're both at kind of like a single. We both like AM 180, and that's yeah, yeah, pretty much it. That pretty much would do it for the album for me. Yeah. There's nothing else that happens that doesn't already happen in that song. <laughs> and I don't think there's any reason to discuss why this w- wasn't any bigger because, quite frankly, I can't imagine why this should be any bigger. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. So, um, well, Andrew, uh, I'm glad that you didn't pay for this because <laughs> although we, we gave a reason oh, and. How bad would we feel if somebody paid? This was a paid review. Holy jeez. Yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, we didn't, it's not like we said this is poop and that's it. I mean, we gave some, I think, substantial criticisms. Um, but, you know, I'd like to be able to be more in an EP range. We'll find out. We're going to have some paid reviews coming up to start yeah. out our 2013 season. And uh, we'll be honest. We'll be completely honest. We're going to give you your money's worth. <laughs> and uh, we, hope that, we hope that that's. Um, worth the dollar value that we have placed upon our reviews. Uh, like I said, you can go to digmeoutpodcast.com and request review and and, re- and pick a review for uh, 2013. If you liked this review, uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm shocked, but that's cool. Head on over to iTunes and leave us some positive feedback. Maybe you're thinking, "Damn, I had that same idea about under the Western Freeway," and uh, now you're validated. Stamp of uh, this, approval. This is also a good candidate to uh, tell us that we're wrong. We'd love yes. to hear why. You know, we've been told that we're wrong in the past, but we're usually wrong, but thoughtfully wrong. And that's all we want to be is uh, we don't want to fly off the handle with unsubstantiated opinion. We try to be so. as objective about it as we possibly can. Yeah. That's all we can ask. So... Thanks, everybody, for listening. And Jay and I will be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out.
Want to leave feedback? Join the conversation at digmeoutpodcast.com for links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed. While you're there, support the podcast by visiting our donation and merchandise pages. And thanks for listening.